I'm Grant Amen of the Archers Lacrosse Club and the PLL, and you're listening to More Than a Club Podcast. Welcome to the More Than a Club Podcast with Marty Cuprian and Delay. Welcome back to the More Than a Club podcast, season three. I'm your co-host, Bill Leahy, along with Coach Marty Cuprian, and we are thrilled to be back with our halftime, halfway through our season three, episode number 30. Congrats, Coop. Who thought we'd make it this far? Yeah, 30 episodes. Sounds like a lot. Uh, We've been busy, so thanks to Justin and you and uh, any significant others that put up with us talking about the podcast when we come home. Yeah, all good stuff. So how's it going for you, Dad? Thanks. Yeah, it's going well. I appreciated Coach Law stepping in for me last episode. I, my son Jackson got a couple shout outs, which was incredible. Uh, he has to be our youngest podcast listener. And he got some shout outs. So very cool. Law did a great job. Enjoyed uh, Coach Kelly from Calvert Hall. Uh, but yeah, life in South Philly is good. Wife's recovering very well, settling into some routines like walking around the city and uh, just enjoying life in Philadelphia. Uh, on the next side, we're going to close down our fall event season this Saturday and Sunday. Our big event for the next group is called the Nike Philly Showcase and the Philly Fall Invitational. I'm really looking forward to getting out there at the showcase on Saturday, seeing familiar faces, checking in on our players, and really just closing down the fall lacrosse season here in the Philly area. It's been awesome, and I'm proud of everyone associated with Next. Great. Well, I'm excited for our show today. Every once in a while, we divert from our direct lacrosse guests and have a different type of show. And we do this when we think our guest has a kind of extra perspective on being a student athlete. And our season one, we had Ryan Mannion from the Mannion Foundation, who talked about competitiveness and strength and serving our country and serving others. And of course, Dr. Mitch Green, one of our most popular episodes we've had on for an encore twice, who talked about our mental health as we compete as athletes. So I thought. It'd be important to look at our physical health. And to do that, I wanted to bring in a good friend and my own chiropractor, Dr. Dane Donahue, from our new town, God's Country Home. So, Doc, we're thrilled to have you with us. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. And I, I agree with you, Bill. Uh, Bucks County in the fall is God's country. Thanks. I know I say that to people, and the city folks just stare at me like, you know, I'm arrogant or I don't know what I'm talking about. But once they come up and cross some of our covered bridges and see our leaves, we win them over, right? There's gold. Absolutely. So I thought we would start by kind of looking at Dr. Dane's career. And to do that, we're going to play a video of Dr. Dane from the Wellness Solutions Center introducing himself. Hello, I'm Dr. Dane Donahue, a third-generation chiropractor who's been helping people feel better, look better, and move better for over 28 years in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Now, our goal at Wellness Solutions Centers is simple. We want to support you to overcome your health challenge. And whether that's back pain or poor posture or headaches, or even a chronic condition that you have that you're just sick and tired of taking medication for, we're here to help you solve your problem and get you back to the things that are really important in in life. And these are things like having an active lifestyle and exercise or freedom to travel without pain or how about spending quality time with your family. These are things that people aren't doing when they have a healthcare challenge like back pain or even things like hypertension or how about shoulder impingements and hip and knee pain and plantar fasciitis and things like diabetes and prediabetes and things like common neurologic problems like MS or Parkinson's. These are the common problems we're seeing in our society today and here's what I can tell you. All of these problems have a root cause and at Wellness Solutions Centers we believe in root cause 
medicine. We believe in getting to the underlying cause of the problem, not just treating the symptoms. And how do we do this? Well, we have an integrative team here at Wellness Solution Centers. So we have chiropractors on staff and we have postural mobility specialists and we have massage therapists and acupuncturists and even a nutritionist on staff. And all of this integrative approach helps you to get back to the behaviors that are gonna solve your problem. Now our Eight Weeks to Wellness program, it's a program that we've been doing for over 17 years and we've seen radical changes in people's health and now Eight Weeks to Wellness is really spreading around the globe. So we invite you to, and your family to join our family to make you the healthiest family in our community. While Coach Leahy knows Dr. Dane well, all of you do not. So here's a little bit more. As mentioned, he's been in practice since 1991, and he's a third-generation chiropractor who has been recognized by his peers with numerous national awards for excellence in practice and in his contributions to the profession. He has appeared on numerous local television stations to promote wellness and healthy living, he is an active lecturer and consultant speaking throughout the nation from conventions to schools where he has committed to the idea that all people deserve to be healthy and their choices and behaviors determine their level of health. He assists clients with their health choices by offering chiropractic care, numerous fitness programs, motivational wellness education, and a nationally recognized eight-week to wellness program. His role as a doctor is to inspire and educate people to make better choices leading to better health outcomes. Dr. Dane is married with two sons and lives with his beautiful wife, Jill, in Upper Bucks County, PA. It's an honor to have you with us today, Doc. Some list. What did we miss? Uh, you know what? The only thing you missed is, you know, not only do I love Bucks County, Pennsylvania, but as your parents know, I also love the Chesapeake Bay. So uh, that's the only other thing, you know, is my love is, is boating on the Chesapeake Bay. Yeah, that's a funny story, right? So you're down on the Chesapeake. My parents are down on the Chesapeake. You don't know my parents. They live in Baltimore. And then what happened? You see them at a restaurant or they gave so up their we're, seats? We're, they... We, uh, we keep our boat in a town called Rock Hall. And my wife and I like to go to this little uh, little restaurant and we're sitting there. And, you know, I, I'm a very friendly guy. I started talking to this guy and talking to the lady. We, we hit it off. I think we were the only four people uh, sitting up at the bar. And uh, lo and behold, we start talking and he asked me, I'm a chiropractor. Oh, my son sees a chiropractor. And uh, I said, well, what's his name? And, and they said, uh, Bill Leahy. And I'm like, yeah, well, I happen to know your son quite well. You know, so. Small world. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I wanted to have you on the show, uh, doctor on the show, you know, first to talk about our, our physical wellness. And while we've had mental health professionals on the show, I thought it'd be important to see how these two go together, right? Our physical health, wellness and our emotional wellness are paramount in how they work together. Would you agree? Without a doubt. You know, and in fact, um, you know, the famous Dr. Candace Pert, a neurobiologist, um, you know, she wrote a really important book about 20, 25 years ago called Molecules of Emotion. And in it, um, you know, she really details that every thought that you think has a chemical uh, pathway in the body. So for example, a thought of anger leads to the production of the, the hormone adrenaline, you know, uh, thoughts of uh, gratitude lead to the production of serotonin. So, you know, we, we now know the science behind the fact that you can't separate your thoughts, emotions, and your, your physical body. And so the chiropractor, what else do they do? A lot of, like my dad comes from a different generation. He thinks it's yoga and acupuncture, which is weird. And then taking iron and facing north. So can, can you help straighten those who don't understand out about all the great work you do in terms of wellness and chiropractic care? 
Yeah, I, I kind of look at it from a different perspective, Bill. I, I think growing up the son of a chiropractor and the grandson of a chiropractor, you know, I heard those comments like, you know, your dad's a what? I, I thought they were quacks or why don't, you know, the one I got when I was in school, you know, I, I made an, a decision to become a chiropractor because that's what my dad and my grandfather did. And I saw that they got great results with their patients more in a natural drug-free approach, which I liked as well. And, you know, people would say, hey, well, why don't you become a real doctor? Well, you know, to me is like, what is a real doctor? A real doctor is someone who gets great results with their patients uh, with as little intervention as possible. To me, that's, that's a great doctor. And, uh, and so I think chiropractic is, is misunderstood. I, I was talking to a new patient today, uh, Bill, who, who had called and had some questions about whether chiropractic could help a certain condition. And she said to me, she, you know, I went on WebMD and it said that chiropractic is very good for occipital neuralgia, which is what the condition she has. And I said to myself, wow, when chiropractic is now being, you know, given thumbs up on web, web, WebMD, we're, we're starting to make it. But, <laughs> it. You know, it's, it's not voodoo. Uh, you know, I hear you have to believe in chiropractic. You have to go and go and go. And that's the other thing I hear a lot. Um, you know, it's not a religion. You know, it, it's a science, art and philosophy of, of structural health and the body's um, ability to adapt to its environment, which is processed through our nervous system. And that nervous system runs through our spinal column. So we have 24 bones that move in our spine. We have 23 discs. We have, you know, 31 pairs of spinal nerves that tell, tell your body what to do. And so chiropractic concerns itself with the alignment and, and also the function of that spinal column relative to that nervous system. So this mom sees me, lacrosse mom, and she says, I love your show. I'm an avid listener. And I said, well, you're going to love the next show. We're going to have my doctor on. He's be great for our young athletes and those who listen and care about their wellness. And she says, well, why, would, why wouldn't you have an orthopedic doctor on? And I said, because that's a good question. <laughs> I said, well, that's for when folks get hurt. I'm interested in how to be well so you, you don't get hurt. And when you do, then you can turn to your orthopedic surgeon. Would you agree with that? Thoughts? Well, I mean, not only would I agree, I would just say that probably 50% of the injuries that I see in athletes uh, are, are things that were completely preventable if they did the right work upstream uh, to prevent that injury. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm all into prevention. I mean, I think so many conditions, you know, when you look at the top three killers, for example, in our society, the number one killer of, of Americans is heart disease, right? Number two killer is cancer and number three killer is obesity related conditions such as diabetes. And all three of those uh, conditions that kill, by the way, seven out of 10 Americans, you know, they, they have their, uh, you know, they have a lifestyle component. Um, if I asked you, you guys, Coop, uh, Bill, you know, is heart disease preventable? You know, it's, you know, you, you would tell me yes, because for a large part, we know that diet and exercise, you know, I love the, I love the medication commercials when it says when diet ex and exercise don't work, you know, the, the problem is diet and exercise always work, you know? Uh, so I just think that, that we should be proactive and recognize that so many injuries and so many health problems just stem from the fact that we don't have a foundation. We don't have a society that really teaches us how to prevent disease and injury, but we're very good at treating it once it happens. Boy, the great Chinese philosopher and soldier Sun Tzu would be uh, loving your answer there when he says that best doctors who ever lived are not famous for they cared for their patients in a way that kept them well. And that's exactly what we're trying to focus on here, being well so that you don't have to be really sick and you can be your best athlete, best doctor, best lawyer that you can be. You can live your best life. Yeah. 
Imagine if in our healthcare delivery system, doctors were paid for keeping their patients well instead of paid for, you know, treating their, their illness. You know, uh, you know, we have these managed care that, you know, you have, may have a thousand people in, in a pool. Um, but what if those doctors were paid based on outcomes with that, those thousand people, you know, the, the, the doctors who were taking care of the healthiest people were the ones that were paid the most. I mean, that, that's how athletes get paid, right? The ones that perform exactly. the best get paid the most. So how does all this wellness and chiropractic care relate to athletes? I mean, we have an athletic show. So walk us right into how a young person is well by chiropractic care who's an athlete. Yeah. So, you know, obviously, you know, if you look at an athlete, you know, we can make the analogy of a, a regular car versus a race car. Right. And, and, you know, so if you were going to take care of a race car, obviously you're going to put better gas in it. You're going to use better tires. Uh, you know, it's, you're just going to take care of it differently. And so again, if you, if you look at yourself as an athlete and to be to, at some level, um, Bill, I, I even call my patients occupational athletes. You know, I think at some level, we're all athletes, you know, at least I, I'm a CrossFitter. I'm, I'll be 53 next week. And I still consider myself an athlete. You know, I, I love to go into CrossFit and compete with the 20 year olds, you know, and, you know, when I'm, when I'm competing with the 20 year olds and still can perform at their level, I know I'm doing pretty good. So I think, you know, whether you're an athlete or an occupational athlete, or you just want to have a certain level of function, you got to understand that you, you've got to keep the car running at a high level if you want high performance. That's awesome. I got to tell my wife I'm an occupational athlete. Uh, she, she's asking me why I'm like going for so many runs and walks. Really, it's just to get out of the house, but you know, might be for a greater good too. Um, we're going to move on. We're going to hit a few quick hot topics for parents, for coaches, for players. Uh, this first one will be for parents, um, but really all these topics go out to everyone in our audience. So the triune of health, physical, mental, emotional, and chemical recovery. Tell us more. So, you know, one of the things I educate my athletes and, and also really all my patients, if, if you can imagine a continuum, gentlemen, and that continuum on, on one side is optimal function and performance. Okay. And on, on the other side is, is chronic disease. And, and I would uh, label a person chronic disease when they're taking multiple medications for multiple different conditions, right? They have a, they have a quality of life that's really compromised. In other words, they can't live the quality of life that they want to live. They can't play with their grandkids. They can't go out like you coop and take a run when they want to. Uh, so if you look at that as a continuum, very rarely does one person go from optimal performance and health over to a chronic disease state overnight. It, it, it's a continuum, right? It, it takes years. And I'm not so much concerned with where people are on the continuum when they come to me, where an athlete is. Um, I'm more concerned with the direction they're moving. So if they're moving towards you know, poor performance, a weaker core, uh, you know, then, then, then they're moving toward more probability of injury. Okay. And there's three main stresses. If I were to ask you, Coop, Coop, tell me one thing that you think has the biggest impact that creates, uh, you know, disease, or maybe it creates uh, poor athletic performance in your athletes. What's maybe one thing that comes to mind? Sleep. Sleep. Okay. I think that's an awesome, awesome response. I don't think that's what I would have thought that you would have said, but I love that response. Bill, what? Sleep and nutrition. Yeah. Yeah. What comes to your mind, Bill? Hydration. Hydration. Awesome. So we got three really good ones there. Sleep, hydration, and nutrition, right? So the, the, the key is, is that we can put all of these stressors. So it's, it's, it's a coin that has two sides. On one side, it's what people need to do for optimal performance. On the other side of the coin, it's also can be the stress that if people don't do it well, leads to, to poor outcomes and poor health. 
So I think every one of those stressors, if we kept going, you know, we could also say not having a good core, not having good mobility. Uh, we could say not not being strong, you know, uh, and, and working out. You know, we could say a lot of things. Mental health. Mental health. Thank you. It's a huge one. Mental, emotional health and stress management, being able to manage the stressors in your life in a successful way. But they can all fo- fall into those three categories. Biochemical health, mental, emotional health, which I would put sleep in there too, Coop, and then also structural or physical health. And, and a triune is a triangle, right, guys? So just let me say yeah. a triune is a triangle with three equal sides. So I see that some athletes are really good with the physical and structural part, but they're horrible with the mental, emotional part, the sleep and managing stress. So I think it's having, you know, having the equilateral triangle where there's good balance in all three, the, the nutrition and biochemistry, you know, including supplements, uh, you know, hydration bill, you know, it's the mental, emotional, being able to deal with stress, being able to deal with your emotions, uh, getting a good night's rest on a regular basis. And then it's the, the structural. So where does the chemical recovery come in? Where do you mean by that? And how does it assist in the whole process? Yeah. So again, you know, if you look at the body, the body is just a series of chemical reactions. So for example, we can talk about glycolysis. It's, it's interesting, Bill, because my son is down in chiropractic college. He'll be a fourth generation chiropractor. And uh, we were talking last night about uh, biochemistry as biochemistry now. And I'm like, Shane, that's a tough course. He's like, dad, we're, we're talking about anaerobic glycolysis and Krebs cycle and, you know, all, all these pathways. And, you know, the Krebs cycle is about producing ATP, right? And ATP is the body's gasoline. You know, that's a chemical reaction. And so there are so many chemical reactions that take place in the body um, that need a foundation in good nutrition, good supplementation. Your body needs these chemicals to perform these chemical reactions properly. So I would just say chemical recovery is making sure that you're not putting things into the body that aren't meant to be there. So, because then the body has to detoxify from, you know, these chemicals that it has no idea what it is and it doesn't add to the greater good of these chemical reactions that the body needs to perform. Does it also mean taking extra vitamin C? Yeah, I mean, you know, let's talk about an important one like vitamin D3. I can assure you that if you're not working out, if your kids aren't outside in the sun or you're not outside in the sun on a regular basis, I can assure you you're deficient in vitamin D. I can promise you because I test people all the time. And I would say 80% of the people that I test are deficient in vitamin D. Why? Because even if we're out in the sun, we wear sunblock, right? And rightfully so. We don't want to get skin cancer, but we block the body's ability to produce vitamin D3 when we block the sun. So, you know, I always say mother nature, God put that big orange thing up in the sky for a reason, right? So that's a, that's a, that's a supplement that I often recommend to people, you know, because you're not getting it in your diet. You know, so you need to get it in supplement form. Same thing with omega-3s. You know, omega-3 is super important for the brain, DHA, EPA, but kids don't eat fish. You know, they're not <laughs> eating salmon. They're not eating foods that, are, that have a high content of omega-3. And yet they're so critical to uh, brain health and, and decreasing inflammation. So I think, you know, supplementation is important when you're not getting those, those nutrients in your diet. Dr. Dane, thinking about some of the little guys I was coaching last weekend, you know, if we're talking to a second, third, fourth grade athlete, that's, you know, a weekend warrior playing in a soccer tournament, lacrosse tournament, and what are some things you would recommend as basic tips of wellness, uh, or maybe on the other side, uh, things they should totally stay away from that would be detrimental to performance? Um, Yeah, so with the, with the younger guys, I think, you know, a key thing for parents is to get kids involved in, in cooking, 
You know, I, I got my kids involved wow. in cooking at, a, at an early age. So I would make them make their, their snacks for sports. You know, we would have apples and, you know, throw some peanut butter on. They loved making that stuff. They, my son, who's down in chiropractic college, loves to cook. You know, we actually go on FaceTime sometimes and, and we'll, you know, kind of make a meal together. So that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I think get your kids involved because if they're not involved, they're just going to stop and pick up McDonald's or whatever because it's quick and easy. But again, it's a fuel, you know, so I think teaching kids how to eat properly and fuel their system comes down to getting them involved in the process, not just telling them you need to eat apples. Well, they they don't understand those concepts. What what about at the tailgate tent when it seems like there's only unhealthy choices and uh, donuts and sugars and things like that. I mean, you've been a sports parent, right? Like what, what, what are the healthy alternatives and choices or conversations that you try to have at that point? And I've, I've down a couple donuts as well. <laughs> it, my grandfather used to say everything in moderation, even moderation. Yeah. Right. So I think, you know, at least what I've noticed with parents that have gotten their kids involved and taught them what a healthy protein is, you know, most kids don't know the difference between a protein, a carbohydrate and fat. This isn't rocket science. This is something I can teach a second grader and they have a better concept of it than most adults. You know, if I hand somebody an apple and say, Coop, what is this? A protein, carbohydrate or fat? Most people don't know that's a carbohydrate. You know, Uh, if I hand somebody an egg, most people don't know that that's a protein and a fat protein in the egg, white fat and in the yolk. These aren't hard concepts. So I've just noticed that the people that get their kids involved in learning nutrition, those kids are more prepared to make the decisions when they go and the donuts are there and they say, you know what? Now, they don't just say mommy, daddy says I shouldn't eat those. They say I shouldn't eat those because they know better. Sports car runs better. How about for older student athletes? Like at LaSalle, I had high school guys and we talked a lot about being a 24-hour athlete. It mattered how much water you drank throughout the day and they would carry a water jug from class to class all day. We even had a pee chart over the urinal. They could look and see if their color was correct to show that they were hydrated or maybe having a sleep chart. Any thoughts for older guys who are responsible enough to make their own decisions now? Maybe they're a junior or senior and they're about to head off to Carolina or Virginia or a top-notch Division three school. And this idea of being a 24-hour athlete and being well as an athlete. So if I were to say to you guys, who's, who's a quarterback that comes to mind when you think about optimal performance and, and longevity? Is, it, is there any doubt that you immediately think of Tom Brady? Of course, but, you know, I had to look past my Lamar Jackson love. So, but Lamar Jackson's 24 while Brady is 44, 46. So he's old for a quarterback, but, you know, he's, he's been in the league a long time. Why? Because that man takes excellent care. He has a chiropractor, number one. He has a, you know, we can't all have a a private uh, nutritionist dietitian cooking our meals, but he is very, very in tune with what he puts into his body. And I, I, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think there's a reason that Tom Brady excels at a high level for a long period of time because he's taken really good care of his body. He hasn't let that race car break down early uh, because, you know, it wasn't well cared for. And, and I also look at it, guys, I would say, you know, if everybody can look at their health as deposits and withdrawals, you know, we all understand the concept of bank accounts. We put deposits in, you put enough deposits in, you can afford to take a withdrawal every once in a while. But, you know, so many people, they're overdrawing their their health account on a regular basis. You know, now, if we do that in our bank account, we get a little alert and and we get charged thirty five dollars because we overdrew our account. You know, but when it comes to your health, that's called, you know, a blown MCL or ACL. You know, 
So I, I think it's, you know, getting the adults to look at, okay, where are you making deposits and where are you making withdrawals and how can we clean that up? My hot fudge Sunday is officially a withdrawal. <laughs> <laughs> and my walk is a deposit. So on that note, uh, any thoughts on technology uh, along with what we've just talked about, um, you know, managing our health and tracking things? Yeah, I, I wear this, guys. It's called an R-Ring, A-U-R-A. Um, it tracks my sleep performance. And, and I agree with you, Coop. I am a huge fan of a good night's sleep. Uh, I think we'll maybe talk about later in the show the difference between your autonomic parasympathetic and autonomic sympathetic system. Uh, and so I, I, love, I love the R-Ring. I love things that measure HRV. We all may see that on our phones. A lot of the sleep apps now have them, you know, sleep number bed. Um, but people don't understand what HRV is. HRV stands for heart rate variability. And it is a very, very good indicator of how um, ready, it's readiness indicator of how ready your body is to perform. So you want fluctuations and variability in your heart rate. You want your heart rate to be at the same pace all the time. You want your heart to be able to react very quickly to certain situations, go up, go down. So when you don't have good HRV, your body can't adapt. It doesn't adapt to situations very quickly. So we want a high level of HRV. And I, I even go so far as to look at my HRV when I have a heavy CrossFit workout and say, okay, well, maybe this isn't the day I should be, you know, uh, power cleaning 185 pounds because my HRV is pretty low, or maybe this isn't the day I'm not going to go for a 10 mile run. But then there's other days, my HRV, my sleep numbers are good. I can go to the gym and know that, you know, I can push myself a little harder. Really interesting, Doc. We're going to move on to our next section, which is usually our X and O insights of the week for coaches. So we're not going to break down lacrosse here for you, but I thought we would take on a concept much more kind of cosmic, and that is the idea of authentic happiness and serving others with your talents. And sometimes when I look at the world and I watch television, I just, I just wonder if this is almost an impossible topic, right, to be, to be happy or the odds just stacked against us. And yet you look at some individuals in life and you say, besides all of that, they're happy. And so authentic happiness and happiness are different. Take it from there. Okay. So, you know, this is, this is a concept that is really near and dear to my heart. As a matter of fact, I knew we were going to talk about this. So I brought this book and I just want to read to you on the inside cover. Um, this is probably one of the most important books that ever was given to me. It, it's dated October 10, 2002. And it says to my son, Dane, whom I love with all of my heart. And I wish nothing but authentic happiness. And she, and she underlined the word authentic love mom. Now, why did my mom send me that book? Because I was having some really uh, big challenges in my marriage at the time. And, you know, I, I grew up, Bill, I, uh, you know, I, 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 unfortunately, I wasn't like you. I had these strong, stable parents. My dad actually got divorced when I was three years old and then got divorced again when I was in my 20s. Uh, I didn't really get to see what a happy, loving marriage was all about. I didn't learn that. So I had to go back and relearn that. And, and part of that was understanding this book. And when my mom, when your mom sends you a book, guys, uh, you, you, with that you know, inscription on the cover, you read the book. And so the book was written, by the way, by a guy, um, Martin Seligman. And Martin Seligman is actually a professor at the University of Pennsylvania. And he studies happiness. And I always love the concept, Bill, because we have so much information on you know, depression and schizophrenia and you know, mental disorders. But this man actually went and studied happy people you know, I thought, what a concept. Let's study the happy people and see what they're doing right. And he used the word authentic because, you know, we can all be happy if, you know, if we have a, you know, a great lacrosse game, right? We can be happy if my wife gets a new Louis Vuitton bag, right? We can be happy if we get that new car, but eventually the new car smell wears off. 
So authentic is not outside in, it's inside out. So when you say, Bill, this is difficult, I don't think it's difficult to find happiness outside in, but I do think it's, it's harder to wake up with a sense of innate happiness from the inside out. And I will tell you, you know, at, at you know, being 53 next week, I wake up, I get up at 435 every morning, gentlemen, and I look forward to the day. And what I learned most importantly in this book, guys, is that happiness, the number one trait, and he studied happy people, right? So there was a lot of things that did not correlate with happiness, gender, where you lived. I always thought people who lived in Seattle would be more depressed because it rains more. It turns out it's not so. How much money you make, right? How many people do we know that make a lot of money and they're the most miserable people we know? And how many people that are, are barely scraping by and they look like they're just so happy, right? So it's not money. The number one determining factor is serving beyond your own needs with the talent that God has given you. And when I read that, I recognized, man, I don't think I'm serving my family enough. I don't think I'm serving my patients enough. I think I'm serving Dane really well. You know, I was an avid golfer at the time. I had a house down the shore that I spent a lot of time in. I, you know, I traveled a lot for, for my own pleasure, right? Uh, but I don't think that I was serving the way I wanted to serve. And so I really made a commitment at that time. And now, you know, I've been married 27 years. I have an amazing relationship with my wife and my kids. And, you know, I, I, I owe a lot of it to understanding what authentic happiness is really about. How do you see this transferring over to athletes? Well, I think, I think what's important is they have to evaluate their own happiness, right? I think so many times athletes are focused on their own performance, right? Uh, and, and yet, you know, that athlete can go and, and teach a, a younger kid who, uh, you know, may not have, have the skills or a teammate that may not have the skills. And I just think it's important to understand that, you know, that selfless service is where their own self-esteem is going to come from, you know? So you look at the, the great athletes, they're not only great athletes, but they're great human beings. So I think it's just getting the athletes to understand this concept of, you know, serving with the talent. Maybe you're, you know, you guys would know better, but maybe you have a defenseman that's great with stick handling, you know, and you have an offense that, that's great because of speed, you know? Well, use the talents that God has given you and say, hey, I'm going to teach stick work and I'm going to teach speed and agility, you know, and that way you can use those talents and leverage them to your the best of your ability and your team. It's also simply just being a great teammate and lifting players up when they fail and making sure that you're a positive role among each other. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, how you know, I, I played football and wrestled and and, you know, I mean, I can remember teammates that you know, that, that were awesome teammates, because like you said, Bill, they, they picked you up, you know, you made mistakes, but nobody wants to be, have the, the finger in, in the face. Uh, you know, that that's, we don't do that with, with our children, hopefully, and we shouldn't do that with athletes. And it's just not how they perform better. Now, I know you have found some steadiness and happiness from studying the Stoics. And we had Grant Ament, a famous lacrosse player on our last episode. He listens to the Stoic podcast every day. I'm a Stoic guy. I read your blog about the Stoics, but maybe a lot of folks don't understand what we're talking about. So who are the Stoics and how is their thinking different, especially in light of today's times? So I, I just wrote this down, guys, for you so people could understand the concept of Stoic philosophy and Stoicism. So Stoic philosophy is a philosophy of personal ethics and a methodology for seek, seeking practical wisdom in life. A key prince, principle of Stoicism was the belief that we don't react to events, we react to our judgment about events, and the judgments are up to us. They also advise that we should not worry about things beyond our control as everything in life can be divided into two categories, things that are up to us and things that are not up to us. 
So Stoicism really is about our interpretation of events. You know, there's a great book that I would recommend everybody read. It, this is another book that changed my life and two, two core principles. It's called The Four Agreements. And it's uh, ancient Tol Toltec um, wisdom, Indian wisdom. Uh, and the four agreements uh, are, are this, be impeccable with your word, okay? That's number one, be impeccable with your word. Number two, don't make assumptions, okay? And number three, um, uh, always, uh, always do your best, okay? And number four, don't take, take things personal, okay? So, and the ones that I love are, you know, don't take things personal and don't make assumptions. And I think so many times in life, we make assumptions about what things mean, right? And I think stoicism is about looking at not what's happening, because some of the greatest uh, things that happen in our life, guys, would you agree, came from like just complete tragic events that may have happened in our life. Like I look at my marriage now with my wife, and I, I know that it came from not learning what a good marriage looks like. You know what I'm saying? So that made me go seek out how do I, how, if I want to be married for a long time, you know, because most of the men in my family weren't, you know, how, how do I need to behave differently? So I think it really comes down to there's things we have control over and there's a lot of things we don't have control over, but let's start focusing on what we do have control over. It's amazing how the philosophy thinking of the ancient Roman Stoics is coming back and so popular today. Yeah. Maybe just well, I we think, they, I think they dealt with a lot of crises, just like we're dealing with a lot of crises uh, Bill, you know, their crises were probably even greater than ours, you know, so I think anytime you're in a, in a, in an environment where you're dealing with a lot of crisis, like we are, particularly now with COVID and, and things like that, you know, it forces you to have to think about those situations and, and how you are going to respond, not just kind of at a, a cultural level, but at, at an individual level. Yeah, a real steady way to go about approaching life. Doc, could you talk a little bit about your feelings on faith related to happiness? Yeah. Um, you know, for, for me guys, uh, you know, I, I know, you know, if I look at my life, I, I, I consider myself a spiritual person. I think there's a difference between being a spiritual person and a religious person. Okay. Um, so even though I do go to church, I don't think you have to go to church to be a, a spiritual person, but I think being spiritual just simply means that you don't rely on your own ability level, you know, that there is a power that created us. You know, if, if I gave you guys, and I know you are two smart men, and I said, hey, guys, I'm going to give you all the money in the world. I'm going to give you all the resources you need in the world, anything you need. You couldn't make a blade of grass. You couldn't make one human cell together, even though you guys are pretty smart and have all the available resources, right? But you know what? Our body does that on a regular basis. You know, somebody created us, you know, and, and, and this amazing, amazing human being that, you know, we can't even, you know, we don't have the intellectual capacity to understand how complex this universe is, you know, I mean, we can probably only understand, you know, a, a, a you know, grain of sand of the complexity of this world, but somebody understands it, right? Somebody created it. And I think, you know, being spiritual is just saying, hey, listen, I'm going to try to tap into that infinite wisdom that created, that knows a lot better than me. And in fact, when I look at the, the, the greatest crises or challenges in my life, it's when I said, okay, Dane, get out of your own way. And, and pray, get out of your own way and say, hey, you know, God, can you help me with this one? You know, uh, that, that, you know, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and a solution will come to me. And it's not when I'm consciously thinking, it's when I stop thinking and allow mother nature, God, you know, whatever to think through me and give me the answer. It's not Dane coming up with the answer. It's somebody giving me the answer from, from out there. 
I love it, Doc. You always keep me in check for body, mind, and spirit. Whether I come in to be adjusted or whether we're having a podcast show, you know, it reminds me that I have to treat my students this way. I have to stay connected myself uh, with my body, mind, and spirit and encourage my students at LaSalle to do the same, which is one thing I love about the institution where I teach is that we're always checking on, on their body, mind, and spirit. But we need to be doing that as athletes as well. You can't just approach the game just because you're a great physical specimen. You have to have your mind in check. And at the same time, you have to be grateful for the gifts you've been given. You know, there, there's, I'm one of those strange individuals that takes notes in church um, because I just think that so many stories in the Bible that apply to us today. Uh, and I, I'm a part of an, a mastermind accountability group. There's four of us. And we kind of text each other each morning uh, a biblical verse and we kind of discuss it. And, and I love that. You know, I love uh, focusing my mind on something positive in the morning you know, a, a biblical verse that, that's going to have relevance in my life. Dr. Dane, real quick, the four agreements one more time. Yeah. So the four agreements are uh, be impeccable with your word. Don't take things personally. Don't make assumptions and always do your best right now. The, the, the first one, right. Be impeccable with your word. I think that goes without saying, although, you know, I do think people are challenged in that area. Sometimes I'll just say that. I think the, the two that really, had an impact on me was don't take things personally and don't make assumptions because when I grew up playing sports, I took everything personally, you know uh, you know, I always made assumptions about what things meant, you know? So I think, you know, not taking things personally and not making assumptions because you don't know, you know, you just don't know when you're taking something personally, what's going on with another individual or what happened in a certain game, you know? So until you get all the data, you know, you can't make an assumption about something. You don't have all the information. Maybe you want to ask that person that you're making an assumption about, because probably most of the time you're, you're incorrect. I needed to hear them again, just before I responded to some emails in my inbox, you know, those are great reminders, um, and, and certainly change your tone. So let's move on to something for players. Let's talk about recovery, adaptation and foundation building. Okay. What do you have for our players out there? Yeah. So, you know, again, I, um, this is something that I would say in the past 10 or 15 years, I, I've really put a focus on when it comes to treating my athletes and, and my occupational athletes. Um, there's, there's a saying I like to use, and I think this saying will help people understand the importance of building a foundation in your core. You can't fire a cannon from a rowboat. Okay. I want everybody to imagine taking a cannon out into a rowboat into the middle of the lake and trying to fire that cannon from the rowboat, right? Well, you're going to blow apart your rowboat, right? You fire a cannon from a battleship, right? Why? Because it's there's stability in the battleship. There's not stability in the rowboat. Okay. Now, firing a cannon could be doing a squat. It could be accelerating, you know, for a uh, you know a, a play on on the goal. Um, so we have these large movements that we're doing, right? Jumping, running, throwing, using large muscles, but we don't have the foundation in our core to be able to handle those without creating injury in our joints. So one of the key things is you want to have stable, strong joints that can withstand impact. And so think about getting checked, right? Well, the people with the, the strongest and best, best cores are going to be able to withstand that, that check. So I think foundation building, you know, when, when you look at athletes, guys, and you guys deal with athletes from a training perspective and coaching perspective, but when they go to the gym, okay, what do athletes in high school want to do in the gym? Bench press or something that's going to make their arms look good for the girls at the beach. You got it. They want to bench press, squat. You know, as a matter of fact, hey, how much can you bench press? 
I used to also like to waste time. You know, sometimes <laughs> I would pretend like I was doing something. <laughs> exactly. Right. But, you know, but the key is, is that nobody talks about their core. Hey, how long can you hold a plank for? Said no uh, high school athlete ever. And I, I would say that being able to hold a plank is a much more indicator of a stable athlete than being able to bench press 225 uh, pounds 10 times. So there, there's a lot of muscles that attach to our core that are extremely important. The core, by the way, guys, aren't just your transverse abdominus, your six pack, you know, your core is your obliques, it's your glutes, you know, it's uh, your quadratus lumborum, it's your psoas, your hip flexors. There's so many muscles that stabilize our hips and our shoulders and, you know, these important joints for athletics. One of my favorite things about lacrosse is that the best players aren't necessarily the biggest, strongest, fastest, but they always are, they have a strong core, they're tough. And a lot of times, a lot of the Philadelphia players are known for that, actually being small and being kind of compact, but also fearless. Yeah, without, without a doubt. I mean, so with, that's one thing, um, you know, we do a functional movement screen with our athletes. So we, we test their core, we test, and, and core stability is actually made up of two things. Again, it's, it's two sides of one coin. The one side you have mobility and flexibility. So I'll put kids, guys, I'll put kids on a, on a, a flat bench on their back and just test their hamstring flexibility. And, yeah. and they can't get their hamstrings up more than like 20, 30 degrees. It's, it's just disgusting. I, I tell them, I say, listen, you wanna be fast and you have these short and tight hamstrings. You know, it's like trying to drive your car with your parking brake on. You know, you're not going to go very far and you're going to end up tearing that hamstring eventually. And I can't tell you how many athletes, football players, lacrosse players, wrestlers, yeah. that they just don't understand that concept of being able to have flexible muscles in addition to strong muscles. Now that's foundation building. Uh, recovery is also important. And back in the 80s when I played in high school and in college in the 90s, there was no aspect of recovery. And then I had my small stint with Team USA, and it was all about recovery. So at the end of an intense practice, every player's hotel room bathtub was filled with an ice bath. And then we had these um, sleeves they pulled up over their legs that kind of compressed air and then relaxed and compressed air and relaxed. There were immediate health bars for them to eat. When practice finished on the buses, we went back to the hotel, followed by hydration and water, and then, again, an excellent meal, a perfect nutrition, you know, laid out with our carbohydrates and all the different categories. So recovery as an athlete matters, and these young people are under the tent. They're playing three games in, in one day, and then they run to what, right? So can you walk us through important recovery and aspects to it? Sure. I mean, you really just hit the nail on the head, uh, Bill. I don't, you know, I, I think it's a pretty uh, obvious concept. Um, that, you know, we can't just continue to push a machine. You know, I always tell my athletes, I'm like, what if you got in your car and you put your foot down on the gas pedal and you just kept it there? What eventually is going to happen to the, the engine? Well, eventually it's going to overheat, right? So in your car, you actually have a gas pedal and a brake and a parking brake, right? So sometimes you need to put that car in park and, and, and you know, allow the car, car to cool down. And, and it's no different with us. You know, there's times when we're performing at a very high level. Um, but then the body needs to recover because the body is constantly regenerating new tissue. You know, the body is constantly dynamic. So, you know, the body needs, uh, you know, it needs good nutrition. It needs rest. You know, it needs, like you said, Bill, uh, you know, sometimes compression and ice, you know, just to deal with, with soft tissues that may be irritated or inflamed. So I think recovery is just, I think it's getting a lot more popular. Like you said, Bill, when I played sports, you know, we didn't even talk about recovery. We didn't know what it is. Maybe you put an ice on, on something if you had an injury. 
Uh, but now it's important that athletes understand the concept of recovery. And again, what is it they're doing on an ongoing basis to really foster that recovery? Yeah, that's great. So my last thought in this section is adaptation. What does that mean? Yeah, well, well it, it kind of means recovery. So I want you to think about adaptation, right? So if it gets hot in a room, like, I don't know, in this room here, maybe it's talking to you guys, it's starting to get a little warm, but I can feel myself breaking into a sweat, okay? That's adaptation. I didn't have to tell my body, hey, it's getting hot in here. You better start sweating to cool off your, your body temperature. My body sensed its environment and it made adaptive changes to cool my body off, okay? Well, that's adaptation, Bill. That's the body sensing its environment and making changes. So how does that happen, okay? So for example, you see me right now, everybody else hears me, okay? But we see because we have these optic nerves that are in our eyeballs that attach to our brain that sees the environment, right? So we have a sensory part of our nervous system that is perceiving the environment and making changes to keep us alive. If we start running and our heart rate doesn't go up, we're in deep, deep trouble. We don't have to say, okay, Hey, Coop, I'm, I'm taking a run today, five miles. Let's, let's, uh, you know, let's turn that heart rate up. Now you just start running and the heart rate goes up. You start breathing heavier. That's adaptation. And so I think the better the body adapts to its environment, the, the better healing takes place, the better recovery takes place. So the question becomes, how does your body adapt better to its environment, right? So the, the, the answer to that is having a well-functioning nervous system. So you have to understand the nervous system is the key system and particularly the autonomic nervous system. So there's three branches of your nervous system. There's the one I just mentioned, sensory, right? We see, we taste, we smell, that's sensory. That's about eight to 9% of your nervous system. Then we have our motor system. Nerves go to muscle, right? I wanna fire my bicep. I wanna fire my quads, a nerve or my brain has to tell my muscles to move. My heart's a muscle, my lungs have muscle. But a big part of our nervous system is our autonomics. And our autonomics are made up of sympathetic, fight or flight, speed up, okay? So for example, sympathetics speed up your heart rate when you go for a run, Coop. Parasympathetics will then slow your heart rate down. So parasympathetic part is what we call the rest and digest. And parasympathetic is extremely important to recovery. And so, you know, I tell my student athletes, I'm like, listen, you would never, you know, like I said, put your foot on, on the gas pedal and leave it there. That's your sympathetics, revving your engine. Okay, you need to turn it off and cool down or you would never leave the lights on indefinitely. Eventually, the light bulb is going to blow a lot, lot easier or earlier. Right. So we want to be able to activate that parasympathetic part of our nervous system. But we're not trained how to do that. You know, people don't understand that getting a good night's sleep is actually upregulating your parasympathetics and downregulating regulating your sympathetics. I practice meditation every day for 10 minutes. I use an app on my phone. It's the first thing I do in the morning. I put the coffee pot on. The coffee pot takes about 10 minutes to brew. I go down, I put my Bose headphones on. I pull up my Calm app. I do a daily meditation every morning, okay? Well, that's activating my parasympathetic nervous system. So I, I think adaptation, Bill, hopefully I answered your question. Well, you did. What you made me think about is how complex and yet simple this is to be a high-level athlete, right? That's when you look at the USA teams, you look at the professional teams, they have men and women like you to work with them. They have spiritual directors. They have wellness coaches. And it's not just adapting to whether it's raining or not and you have to adjust your stick skills or your footing with your, your shoes and your cleats. It's also adapting to our, our bodies, to our minds. And when I listen to you speak, I think, boy, this game is really, really complex. It's also really simple. 
And yet if we take care of ourselves, if we're spiritual, if we have our mind, body in check, you know, then things really take care of themselves. And when we don't, then we really have to think about it. We have to look at how we have to fix our situation. But yeah, yeah I think the key it, word you mentioned is team, right? I think it takes a team, um, you know, to, to be able to function at a high level. So, you know, your doctor, your chiropractor, your wellness professional, your pastor, like who's on your team, you know? And, and hanging to, to me, you know, I, I look at the, 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 my really good friends in my life. I mean, the, these are people that, you know, are, are very healthy individuals. And I consciously hang out with them because they raise my game, not by what they say, Bill, but by watching them, how they parent their children, how they take care of their bodies. I learn most by hanging around people that never know that I'm learning from them because I'm observing what they do, not what they say. Boy, Doc, I should have thought about it. You should have come over to the LaSalle lacrosse team and worked with us a little bit. You, instead of me having my P-chart, you could have come in there and given them a full <laughs> lesson. on. <laughs> oh, we could have still used the P-chart. It's, it's valuable information. Really great, Doc. We're going to move on now to our guest roundtable section of the show. Fire some questions at Dr. Dane. Get to know him a little bit better. Dr. Dane, take us back to your childhood. Where'd you grow up, go to school, all that good stuff? You know, I, I grew up in uh, South Jersey near a town called Cherry Hill, which probably a lot of people in the Delaware Valley area know about. I grew up in a small town called Delran. Um, I went to Delran High School. I, I lettered in three sports. I was a football player. I was a wrestler and I pole vaulted. Uh, and uh, it was a great town. You know, my, my dad was a chiropractor in town. Um, you know, I, I learned a tremendous amount. You know, and again, it's, it's really what set me on my path to want to be a chiropractor. We had a home office combination. We had my dad's uh, wow. practice and home on the corner. We had the medical doctor across the street. So it was a small town kind of family practice. Uh, and I also had my, my uh, uncle who was a chiropractor. And I, you know, I, I watched my dad. I watched people come in limping and, and, and walking out two weeks later, uh, being able to walk out the office. And I'll never forget, I had a guy because we had paralleling draw, driveways. One went into our home and one went into my dad's office. I was going to my home and a guy was coming out of my dad's office and he, he called me over. He said, are you Dr. Donahue's son? I said, yes. And he gave me a hundred dollar bill. Now a hundred dollar bill in the early, you know, mid seventies, wow. that was a lot of money. And he said, give this to your father and tell him he doesn't charge enough for what he does. And apparently he had really helped this guy out tremendously. And I'll never forget that it was the first time. And he said, he said, your dad has something in his hands. That's pretty magical. And I remember going to dinner that night. Cause we always ate dinner at five 30. And I remember looking at my dad's hand, like there were laser beams shooting out of him or he had something special about his hands, you know, because I thought, man, this guy has something in his hands. I wonder what it is. Right. Uh, But, you know, that's kind of the town I I grew up in. It's not, uh, you know, not a a extremely exciting story. Um, But I think what was exciting is my my dad and mom divorced when I was about three years old and my mom lived up in New York City. So every other weekend I would get on a bus and Trailways bus and go up to New York City for, for a long weekend. I did that for 15 years. So not only did I know my small town of Delray, New Jersey, I got to see the Big Apple every other weekend. And I, I probably know the Big Apple better than I know Philadelphia Coop. So if you ever want to go running up at the Big Apple, you know, that's take, pretty cool. You know what I mean? I, I know it like the back of my hand. So that's kind of a little bit about my background. Awesome. My wife is from Moorestown. So I'm fam- familiar with South Jersey. Um, so following in dad's footsteps, uh, did you know, as soon as you got that, uh, hundred dollar bill, was it looking at the hands? Was it going to, you know, college a few years later, when did it really click and, and what was the next step on the path? You know, I, uh, my dad never put any pressure on me to be a chiropractor. You know, I never put any pressure on my son. Um, 
But again, I think back to, and I didn't know it at the time, but back to that principle of, you know, authentic happiness, you know, I think everybody at some level, you want your children to, to do something where that they feel like they're making a difference, you know, and, and getting paid well to do it. And, and in fact, I tell my kids, I said, always in life, you'll be paid in direct proportion to the value you create for others. You create a little value, you're going to get paid a little. You create a lot of value, you're going to get paid a lot. And so, you know, I love the fact that my dad had his own business. He didn't answer to anybody, you know, and, and likewise for me and Bill knows, you know, if I want to take a week off or two weeks off, which I rarely do, but I can, you know, so nobody controls my destiny. I get to go in and, and, and Bill knows I love my job. I love helping people in a natural way. Um, and, you know, I, I think that that for me was the things that really, you know, led me to this path of being a chiropractor. So when you look back over your journey, can you point out a number of influential people who made a difference in your life? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, one was my uncle. So all the chiropractors happened to be on my mother's side of the family. So it was my mother's father, my grandfather on my mother's side that was a chiropractor. And my dad actually met my mom and through the GI Bill went back to college and then went on to chiropractic school. Um, so most of the chiropractors on my mother's side. So my mom's brother was a chiropractor in Bucks County, Bill, in, in um, right by the Oxford Valley Mall, which I don't even know if it's there anymore, Bill. But, um, you know, he was a he was a big influence on me. You know, I got out of school and, you know, being able to study under him and, you know, go, you know, watch him, uh, you know, do new patients and adjust. And, you know, I, I really feel indebted to him. He was very big um, lecturer and communicator. You know, he's one of the few doctors that actually did seminars for his patients on nutrition and, you know, things that they should be doing outside of the office to keep themselves healthy. You know, the word doctor actually comes from a Latin word that means teacher. And I think that we forget that, that our doctors shouldn't be just treaters, you know, handing us drugs, uh, you know, cutting us open. They should be educators. They should be teaching us how to, to live our lives and teaching us how to live healthy. My uncle really did that. And I think that is why Bill, I blog and, and I love to teach. I teach within my profession. I teach all over the world uh, for my profession. I love it. I love teaching um, because I think when you know better, you do better. I love it. How about looking back at the opposite? Like any professional regrets or personal regrets that aren't too, too personal, but you look back and you say, I learned an awful lot from that, even though it didn't go my way. Yeah, I mean, totally. I get I get tingles when I think about that question, Bill, because and by the way, you know, th there's uh, back to the how does the emotions affect the biochemistry of the body? You think about tingles, like what is a tingle? Right? You ever guys watch a movie or somebody says something like you just asked me a question. I got a tingle up my spine. Well, that was a physiological reaction from something you just asked, Bill, because when you ask that question, it made me think, you know, my, my two mentors were my father and my my uncle. Okay. My father's been married and divorced twice. And thank God he never got married a third time. And my father's great at a lot of things, just marriage isn't one of them. Right. And then my uncle, who's been, is an amazing chiropractor, married, divorced three times. Okay. And, and I think the one thing I learned is I didn't want to be a great chiropractor and not be a great husband and father. I didn't want to be a great chiropractor and not have a, you know, a great family life, you know? And so I, I think that was, you know, one thing that I had to go because I didn't have the skills I didn't learn them growing up. I had to go out and learn, you know, those, those skills. And, and maybe maybe that's not a, a regret, Bill, um, but, you know, it, it would have been nice to grow up in a, you know, what we would consider a functional family. You know, I don't know what that means, um, but, you know, th that's probably a regret that I, I didn't have, you know, a, a mom and a dad that I could teach teach me things like you teach your children, Bill or Coop, you're going to teach your new son. Um, those, those things sitting down with your children. I mean, I, 
I, I love talking to my boys. I talk to them on a regular basis. My one lives in Philly, my other's down Atlanta in chiropractic school. And there's probably not a couple of days that don't go by. We're not on the phone or a FaceTime call. I mean, I think, I think it's invaluable that kids learn these principles uh, from their, you know, their teachers and their preachers and their, their mothers and fathers. Now, moving on to your practice in Newtown, I love your mission statement, which reads, we are a community wellness center dedicated to creating a healthier planet, one committed person at a time. Wow. I love the one committed person part. Somehow that speaks like discipline, commitment, take it from there. How did you come up with the mission statement and do you feel your practice lives it? Well, I do because, you know, we're not right for everybody. And, you know, after 30 years in practice, I I really do want to work with people that are committed and motivated. And like I tell patients, you know, I really believe that if uh, if people could drop their their bodies off like dry cleaning, say, hey, listen, I'm going to drop this off, you know, fix my liver. I'm going to pick it up on Tuesday. Uh, Can I get the ticket, please? You know, that's what people would do, you know, And, and, and what I do when I sit down with my patients, I'll say, hey, Coop you know, this is a relationship and there's things I can do for you that you can't do for yourself. But there are a lot of things that you can do for yourself that I can't do for you. So if you do the things that I ask you to do, you're going to do great. But if you don't do the things I ask you to do outside of my office, I can almost guarantee you this isn't going to work as a long-term relationship. So if we can just agree up front that you're, I'm never going to ask you to do something, Coop, I wouldn't be willing to do, or that doesn't make sense. But when I ask you to do something, you do it. You know, you leave the, the dentist's office, guys. They hand you what in a bag? They hand you toothbrush and floss. Yeah. And they expect you to use it. And most of us do. And lo and behold, if we use it, we get good outcomes when we go see the dentist. Matter of fact, every time I go to the dentist every six months, they always say the same thing to me. <laughs> Dr. Dane, you have great home care. I'm like, yeah, I know, because I use those things you give me when I leave the <laughs> office. Right. So I think, you know, I, I think for me, I, I do want to work with committed people. Bill, it's very frustrating to work with people that don't want to do the work. What are some of the greatest challenges you face every day in your practice when it comes to wellness and health? How about in just dealing with people? Um, I, I, I would say that the greatest challenge for me is what we just talked about is apathetic people, you know, is, is people that just don't care. You know, I, I've had people literally tell me, and I hear this all the time. You guys probably hear it. Well, you got to die of something. And I have a pat response. I'm like, yeah, but you don't have to die tomorrow and you're probably going to die pretty soon, you know? Wow. So, yeah. you know, it's, it, that's the most frustrating thing for me is, you know, to see how much work that I've put, I put into my own health, my own body, you know, at 53 years old, I, you know, I, I look at people that I graduated high school with and I'm like, wow, you know, they do look like grandparents, you know? And yet I have full freedom with my body. I can do anything that I want to do within reason that a 53 year old should be able to do. And, and I want that to continue. You know, if I want to play sports or I want to CrossFit or I want to play with my grandkids eventually, you know, I'm, I, I know my quality of life is directly tied to my quality of movements, you know? And so for me, I think the, the biggest frustrating thing, Coop, is, is just getting, getting people to take responsibility, you know, for their own health. And you probably see the opposite too, one or, one or two inspirational people who have made a major difference in their life. You want to share a story or two without names? Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll share a story um, of a, a couple that just finished. Bill, you mentioned the eight weeks to wellness program. And that's a program that my sister, uh, Bill, who you remember, Dr. Denise, Lau, I have a twin sister who actually became an wow. engineer. And uh, she hated engineering. She actually went back to school to become a chiropractor. And her and I practiced together for about 15 years. And she lives in Texas now. Uh, her husband's chemical engineering got, he got uh, moved to Texas, but 
we practiced together for a long time. We developed a program called Eight Weeks to Wellness. And Eight Weeks to Wellness is, is, is a program where it combines all those things we talked about, Coop. So the biochemical, nutrition, and supplementation, and then the, the physical, right? The getting adjusted and, and working out, you know? Number one biomarker of aging, guys, just general, uh, you know, uh, general information for your listeners. Number one way we know the human body is aging is, is what do you think? My gray hair. Hmm. Your gray hair. It's loss of muscle mass. Hmm. Okay. So the number one biomarker, that's why we can look at somebody, Coop, who's 60 and they look like they're 50, but we can also look at somebody who's 50 and they look like they're 60. So the number one way you retain good aging and functionality is don't lose muscle. So we get people in the gym working out, right? Yeah. We make sure they're doing meditation, getting adjusted, eating, doing supplements. So there's a whole program called Eight Weeks to Wellness. So I have a, uh, a patient of mine, he's a funeral, he owns funeral homes. And his main uh, funeral director was 46 years old and went to the hospital, he has three boys, went to the hospital with chest pain, uh, realized you know, he was having a heart attack and uh, they were an emergency med- medicine is amazing. They were able to do their thing and save his life. Um, but, but it really bothered him because now he was looking at, you know, three or four or five medications, the statins, the blood thinners, the, you know, the, the blood pressure medication. And he was 46, you know, he didn't want to take uh, medication. So he came into my office, we ran his wellness score, you know, we looked at his labs, looked at everything. And I said, listen, you know, you can't have it both ways. If you're willing to, to commit and, and do the work, you know, you can bring your cholesterol down. You can either bring your cholesterol down with statins or you can bring your cholesterol down with diet and exercise. You know, you, you can do these things if you want to do them. So they, him and his wife both committed to the program. Um, they've been in my practice for about six months now, Bill, and he's lost about 70 pounds. Okay. She lost 30 pounds. Now she only did the program. If you looked at her, she didn't really need to do the program. She did it because she wanted to support her husband. She wanted to make sure that those three boys had a dad you know, into the near future. And she lost 30 pounds uh, up until this point. But the remarkable thing is the changes in his, in his blood work, his cholesterol came down 40 points, his uh, A1C, which is a diabetic marker came down, you know, tremendously. So all these lab values improved, and he was able to get off a lot of medications, because again, you know, if, if you can do it naturally, you don't need the medication, but most people don't want to put the work in and the hard work to, to get off the statin or get off the blood pressure medication, you can't have it both ways. You know, if you're not willing to do the work, you're probably going to need to stay on that medication because high blood pressure is dangerous, you know, and high cholesterol can be dangerous. So I I see, I see changes like this all the time, but it's always that what we talked about, you know, it's that relationship where we work together. I give them the program. I coach them up. I hold them accountable, but they do the work. Now you mentioned the simple wellness score. So you have kind of a couple categories, right? And let's bring this back to athletes. But being a, a strong athlete or a healthy person in a wellness score, it includes body mass, posture, core strength, flexibility, body fat, heart rate, blood pressure. What did I miss? Um, you know, we look at we look at a lot of different variables. So let's see, body mass index, visceral fat is a big one, um, even for athletes. You know, so visceral fat is different than subcutaneous fat. Visceral fat is very common now because we eat too much sugar. So visceral fat is the deep fat around the organs, but visceral fat is very different than subcutaneous fat because visceral fat produces something called cytokines. And you guys have may have heard with COVID, the cytokine storm, the inflammation that happens in all the uh, organs. Uh, And that's why COVID is much more devastating if you're obese, because if you have a lot of deep belly fat, you're producing so much inflammation already 
that when you get COVID, it overwhelms your system. So that's one thing we look at in athletes. We want to keep our visceral fat and inflammatory levels and cytokines in our system at a really low level. Let's talk about a simple one, which I know is really important because you've helped me an awful lot. Posture. Why does it matter? Well, it, it matters because most kids, our posture is really our alignment. And I have something on a rock in my, in my office, Bill, you may have seen it. I have a friend of mine that engraves things on, on nice granite stones. And he asked me one time, he said, Dr. Dane, I want to engrave something on a, on a granite stone for you. What do you want me to put on there for the office? And I said, well, I want you to put my favorite quote on there. He's like, what's that? I said, posture follows movement like a shadow. Okay. You show me a person with poor posture and I'll show you a, a person with poor movement patterns. Okay. How is that person, Bill, who, you know, is, is all hunkered over, you know, their head and shoulders are really rounded. They got that big hump in their back. How's that person moving? Not, not real well, right? You look at the best athletes and that's why, you know, you look at a gymnast with perfect posture, you know, how are their movements? Pretty explosive, pretty amazing. So the problem is our posture is just a reflection of what we're doing every day, right? So our body winds up in the position we're putting it into. And with kids, what are they doing a lot? They're texting all the time. They're on computers. They're in, in bed reading, which is great and studying, hopefully. But we flex. We are in a flexion dominant society. Flexion meaning we're flexing our head. We're flexing our spine. We're sitting and flexing our hips. And we are not good at extension, but we're really good at flexion. And for every inch the head moves forward out in front of its center of gravity, it compresses the spine by 10 additional pounds. Okay. And I've seen people with three inches of forward head tilt. Just look at yourself from the side or take a picture of yourself from the side looking forward. Your head should be directly over top of your shoulder. And if your head is forward, you have what I call flexion disease, you know, sitting disease. And that's where you have this really rounded. Uh, and, and by the way, you know, shoulder injuries, so tied, like rotator cuff injuries, so tied to internally flexed shoulders. I'm standing up taller already just by listening to him. That's what you do to me, Doc. Every time I talk to you, then I stand up straight, my posture straight, and then I slip away. So I'm going to put you on my own app where you can just Actually, Bill, you, you're one of my patients that I, I, I'm pretty impressed with your posture. And, and so that tells me that I'm, I'm doing a good job with you. Thanks, Doc. So as we come to the end of this section, I wanted to kind of have like a five cent Snoopy from Peanuts Roundtable. You know, I imagine Snoopy there, he opens up his doctor's office and five cents. So I just want five cents worth of what I think are five or six kind of challenging topics and how we look at these in terms of wellness, health, physically, mentally. You know, we've all been through an awful lot these past 18 months. So I'm wondering your view for five cents, Dr. Snoopy, how you handle the news and just so much that comes at us every day from different perspectives and it's just tough stuff every day you turn on the television the news can drive me crazy so the news you know i, I always when it comes to the news i always think consider the source and the, and the problem is we don't really understand the source of where the news is coming from um i i love i love public radio i do listen to public radio i i do like that uh, but to be quite honest bill i can't remember the last time i, I turned on channel three six or ten other than to get the weather um so you know I just think there's more productive things I can do with my time in doing research on my own and, and listening to the important events, either by reading uh, or, or by talking and deliberating with people that I, you know, I, I value, you know, and, and I think del deliberation and, and disagreement is, is a good thing. You know, I want to hear di different perspectives, uh, you know, but I, I don't, I, I don't want to listen to things that I believe have an agenda. And I, I think the news today has an agenda behind it.
All right, five cent doc Snoopy COVID. Um, you know, I, I would say my five cent Snoopy message on COVID is don't get it. Uh, and if you get it, make sure you heal well, right? So I, I think people forget that we have this thing called immune system and we talk about adaptation, okay? Um, so, you know, your, your body has ability to adapt to COVID and, and produce antibodies. And, and when you do, you're protected for a long time. The, the problem is, is that, you know, with COVID, we see people dying because they're so unhealthy, right? They're already inflamed and nobody wants to see, uh, you know, somebody die unnecessarily. Um, but we have to understand that this, this is a natural process. Viruses, that, this virus isn't going away. You know, at, at some point, I believe personally, and this is not a political statement, but I think at, at, at some level, we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to wear masks for the rest of our lives? And I, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, judging your answer. You have to ask that question for yourself. You know, are you willing to wear a mask for the rest of your life? And if, if you want to take your mask off, I would just say, make sure your immune system and make sure your, your body's innate immune system is, is super, super healthy. All right, here's one you don't see coming, competing in a healthy way. Hmm. So competing in a healthy way. Well, I, I, I have always, you know, when I was young, I, I, uh, because I was insecure about myself and I think, you know, insecure people uh, don't like competition because, you know, it, it reflects poorly on them. You know, they think that if they lose, they're a loser uh, and they take it personally. Um, but I love, I love competition. So I think competition is healthy. You know, if you're always competing with somebody that, you know, you can beat, you know, how are you ever going to get better? You know? So I actually, you know, when I tell you that I CrossFit and I like to CrossFit against the, the 20 year olds, well, <laughs> it's because I'm competing, right. And, and I'm not going to get better competing with the guys my age because, you know, they have blown knees and blown backs and they can't move real well, you know? So I think healthy com competition is just going to raise your game no matter what it is. Last thing for some advice. How about overuse, uh, specifically for younger or high school athletes trying to get recruited? Got to go play in everything, can't miss anything, and overuse. Yeah. So I think overuse goes back to recovery. You know, so I, I think, you know, it's really important when we talk about overuse injuries I think it's really important that you're working with a doctor that understands these overuse injuries, you know? So I talked about rotator cuff. Well, I understand what overuse of the supraspinatus muscle is, which is most the most common rotator cuff that we tear or injure. And I understand where that comes from. So I think it's really important to understand that overuse is just, you know, putting too much stress and friction on a tendon. Listen, watch, if I do, if I do this and people can't see this, right, because they can't see me, but I'm rubbing my hands together really fast. And I don't feel anything, but if I keep rubbing them, they're going to get hot. And if I keep rubbing them, eventually there's going to be a blister. Okay. That's overuse. Okay. So we have to understand the body can only take so much friction before we cause breakdown and then we create swelling and then we cause damage. And that's true of the mind too, right? We can over, just play too much, just play, do something too much. Without a doubt. I take breaks very, I'm, I'm a big fan, Bill, of when I work, I like to do it in short bursts and then you know, I, I live up in Bucks County, Bill. I have five acres. I love to take my, one of the reasons my wife live in Upper Bucks County, it takes me 50 minutes to get my office and I don't regret it because I love being in a peaceful environment, walking my dog in beautiful Bucks County. And so I love this dichotomy of work hard, play hard, sleep hard, you know? Great. Well, Doc, we've loved having you and, and your question, my questions, your answers, Coop's questions, just outstanding. This brings us to our last section, which is our rapid fire next homework section. <laughs> 
So I'm going to pick a category like players or parents or coaches. I'm going to ask you just to provide just 30 seconds of a homework assignment for them. So you ready to play? Sure. All right, here we go. What homework do you have for a player who's listening? So the homework I would have is to write out the following sentence. There's a difference between a goal and a standard. And so I, I would say, and maybe you guys can help me with the lacrosse uh, crossover here, but let's say that you have a, a goal uh, and that is, you know, you guys give me a goal that a, a, a lacrosse high school lacrosse player would be focused on. I want to score two goals every game I play in. Okay. So if you write that out, Coop, and you yeah. say, hey, I want to score two goals, you know, every, what did you say? In every game I play in. In, in every game I play in. So here's how you would write that to score two games in everything in every uh, two, two goals in every game, I must. And then I want you to write out the top 15 things that come to your mind. Okay. And just by the sheer fact that you're focusing on not the goal, but what is the standard that you need to maintain? So I know you guys are amazing coaches and I've asked you guys, Hey, what does a person need to do to score, score two, two goals a game? You guys are going to rattle off 15 answers and they're going to be really good things that somebody should focus on. But if you don't, you know, most people think it, they don't ink it. So I, for example, I have a, I have a success journal and it's in the other room. It's, it's just one of those black and white composition books. And I'm always writing, you know, Bill knows I like to blog, but even when, you know, I'm, I'm doing education or I'm reading, I'm highlighting and writing. And because I, I, I don't want to think it, I want to ink it so I can come back to it. I love it. Yeah. Our last guest talked a lot about not being outcome based as a coach. At one point in his career, he realized, Hey, I'm just outcome based instead of process based. And let's just get back to fo focusing on the things that add up to that thing you, you think you're chasing and let's enjoy doing those things. So it's great to hear that reiterated there in a different way. All right, doc homework for a parent who's listening. You know, I think um, we talked a lot of it uh, about it, but I think, you know, one of the best things that you can do for your kids, if you're a parent, is, is sit down with them and, and talk and, and really look at their habits. You know, they, what time are they going to bed? Most parents don't know because the kids are going to bed three hours, four hours later than the parents. <laughs> you know, uh, what are they eating for breakfast? You know, I, I know when my kids were young and I still do this to this day, I don't have kids in the house, but I cook breakfast every single morning for my wife. And it's not a, a box of cereal. You know, I make us a healthy breakfast this morning. We had a, you know, sweet potato hash with some sausage and an egg on top, you know, so I, I am involved with m making my environment and my home healthy. I make sure not only do I take my supplements, I make sure my wife is taking her supplements, you know? So I, I try to create standards and environment in my household to keep people healthy. And I think parents can do that same thing. I think it's one of the best things they can do for their kids you know, if your kids said to your parents, always, well, they, you know, Jimmy won't eat, you know, healthy things. Okay. And, you know, Bill, if, if Emily came to you when she was in high school and said, you know, dad, I thought about this high school thing and, and I've decided to give it up. You know, I'm just, I'm not willing to go through with 10th grade anymore. I'm going to stay home. Uh, I'm going to figure it out. You know, I, I'm sure you wouldn't have been okay with that. You would have said, Hey, Emily, we need to talk. And you would have made sure she went back to school. And yet parents, when the kid says, I don't want to eat this, I want to eat this, they just cave, you know, and, and, you know, and it's like, hey, you're the parent, set the standard. What are you eating? You know, and, and, and make sure the kids know that, hey, this is, you're fueling your body with this. So maybe ring dings and Fruit Loops aren't the best thing to be fueling your body with. And last homework for parents, uh, for coaches who are listening. 
you know, I, I would say for coaches, uh, for me, you know, I, I consider my co- myself a coach for a lot of doctors. Um, you know, I, I do a lot of speaking for, for doctors. And one thing, you know, I would just go back to be authentic coach, be you, you know, I, I, I can't be Bill Leahy, you know, uh, you know, I'm just not that good looking. So I just, <laughs> I just want to be me, you know? So I, I think be authentic, you know, be you, be passionate, you know, you know, communication is three things. It's not just the words you use, but it's your body language. It's your tone of voice. It's your passion. And, and people feel that when I speak or they feel that when I coach, you know, I, I don't want to talk to their head. I want to talk to their heart. So I, I and I, again, I think every, everybody has different talents uh, that they can do that with. Nice doc. And lastly, what are you reading or listening to these days? Um, you know what? I, I am reading uh, a couple books that I would recommend. Uh, this one I just finished. I don't know if you guys read it. Uh, Green Lights. It's Matthew McConaughey's book. Fantastic book. Uh, and then the other one I would recommend for your listeners that really I think is awesome. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this book. It's called The Power of Habit. Uh, why we do uh, what we do in life and business. And it's all about the science of habit found uh, formation. So what, you know, what, what is it that creates a habit and sustains a habit? Great, great book. Thanks. Wow. Dr. Dane, thanks for sharing your expertise and enthusiasm with us tonight. Uh, Like you said, when you know better, you do better. And that's why we love having awesome guests like you here so we can learn. This was an excellent show. Another phrase you said that I loved was, who's on your team? And I would just say, we're glad that you are now on our team. And for co-host Bill Leahy, for our producer Justin, and Dr. Dane from the Wellness Solutions Centers, we are signing off from Contra Hawken. Thanks for listening to the More Than a Club podcast. Great. Thanks, Doc. You were the man. That was great. You can carry a room and carry a show. No wonder you're a lecturer throughout the country. (laughs) 